0: that's A W I E D E R M A N at E I D E B A I L L Y dot com. You can also give Art a call at six five seven two seven nine three two four three. Without further delay, here's your host, dental CPA Art Wiederman.
1: And hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast with Art Wiederman, CPA. I'm your host, Art Wiederman, and I'm a dental division director for the CPA firm of Ide Bailey, and I'm based out of Orange County, California. Our office is in Tustin. And one of the great things about doing this podcast, we're coming up on five years in a couple of months, folks. I cannot believe it's been five years, is I get to meet some very, very special people Many of them are dentists, and today you're going to meet a very, very special young lady who is a rock star in this profession. Uh, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Natasha Lee today, and Dr. Lee um, has just got a resume that I could spend the entire hour reading, uh, but you'd much rather hear her than to hear me. Uh, Dr. Lee was on Governor Gavin Newsom's task force uh, during the pandemic in the heart of In the heat of the battle, if you will. Uh, She's a former president of the California Dental Association. We're going to talk about what she did during the pandemic, which is a really interesting story. We're going to talk primarily about Dr. Lee and her dental practice. She's built an amazing fee for service dental practice in the sunset area of uh, San Francisco near Golden Gate Park. And I want you to hear uh, what her thoughts about uh, on uh, building a practice. And growing a practice and having a fee-for-service practice. And I really want to talk about organized dentistry because she has been an integral part of organized dentistry for many years and why uh, she feels it's important, and I certainly feel it's important to be in in organized dentistry. So we'll get to Dr. Lee in just a moment. Really excited about today's program. First, I want to thank again, uh, as I do on every program, my wonderful, wonderful partners, in this journey, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine. Decisions in Dentistry Magazine have uh, the premier clinical content of any magazine in the world that deals with clinical dentistry. Uh, you can obtain 140 continuing education courses uh, at a very reasonable price. We're doing some really fun stuff with them on the business end, which I'll be able to share with you in the coming months. And so uh, go to their website at www.decisionsindentistry.com um, if you're looking for a dental CPA, uh, I'm a member of the Academy of Dental CPAs, 25 CPA firms across the United States that represent over 10,000 dentists. Uh, if you are, um, you got a great relationship with your CPA, uh, you should stay with your CPA. If you're not getting what you need, uh, give me a call, 657-279-3243, and my email is a Wederman W I E. D-E-R-M-A-N, at idbailey.com. And we have a lot of exciting podcasts coming up. We've got uh, Dr. Lee, uh, who's going who's, uh, to be published out here um, in the middle of October. Uh, we've got one on cybersecurity, which is a big, big deal in the healthcare industry. Um, we've got a lot of other things on management, investment. So keep listening. Please
0: tell all your friends. Be sure to check out our new i Bailey podcast, Ebb and Flow, a business podcast providing inspired insight on issues and trends the middle market faces. Hear unique business stories, get answers to frequently asked and unasked questions, and understand business topics that matter to you. Available now on your favorite podcast platform.
1: All right, let me get right to Dr. Natasha Lee, my guest today. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Uh, she is a graduate of the University of Pacific uh, Dugoni Dental School. Uh, she did that in 2000. And uh, her practice is called Better Living Through Dentistry. Uh, she's earned the praise of the San Francisco community by being voted the best dentist by readers of both the San Francisco Weekly and the San Francisco Bay Guardian. Um, she is passionate about education. And we're going to talk about that today. Um, she is a professor at the university. And she's served on boards and councils of the American Dental Association, the California Dental Association. She's been the president of CDA, uh, San Francisco Dental Society. Um, She is committed to volunteerism. And that is another thing that you find about amazing young people like Dr. Lee who are dedicated to their profession. They give back. So um, she's traveled abroad with her dental students to provide dental care to underserved people in Peru. Costa Rica, Fiji, and the Philippines. Um, she's been recognized by her peers for her dedication to dental profession, ethics, and advancement of oral health. She's been inducted into the uh, Omicron Kappa Upsilon National Honor Society. I said that without bumbling that name. That's good. I'm very proud of myself. Uh, Pierre Frouchard Academy, which is one of the premier dental academies in the world, the International College of Dentists, The American College of Dentists, Doctor Natasha Lee, it's an honor and a privilege to have you on my podcast today. Welcome.
2: Thank you, Art. That was (laughs) that was quite an introduction.
1: I appreciate. it. Well, you know, I didn't have to memorize it. That's that's good. I'm (laughs) glad to hear it. So, I want to jump right into this conversation. I have so much I want to talk to you about. So, um, you are you were on Governor Gavin Newsom's task force during the pandemic. I mean, I heard your name on the news. You were interviewed. Uh, I was, you know, when we were all locked down in March of 2020, um, I was listening to the TV and what's going on today and what are the new orders and what are we doing? So that must have been a really interesting part of being in the inner circle of the, you know, the biggest state in the country, pretty much, I guess, population-wise, during one of our most challenging periods in time. Talk about what you did and 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 how it affected dentistry. And just, just tell us tell us the story of when you were on the governor's task force.
2: So thanks. The 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 task force was the governor's business and jobs recovery task force. So um, even before that, when the pandemic hit and things were getting shut down, um, the California Dental Association put together its own work group actually of, of dentists to look at everything we could from like aerosols to um, PPE and really trying to sort out with, you know, in a time where we had very little information about what this was and what kind of impact it was going to have. Um, what do we know about dentistry and um, and infection control in in such a situation? Um, it was important to do this work, not only to try to understand what was going on, but to provide direction to um, legislators and public health and the public about, um, about dentistry and its uh, its place. Um, in San Francisco, in the San Francisco Dental Society, for instance, we were not getting the PPE that was being um, given to other healthcare providers because we're not part of large like hospital groups and, and whatnot. So we had to do just so much with the city and county to be able to even qualify to get PPE. Um, We got to the point where we finally got PPE. I actually had to have one of my patients who um, had a truck and drivers go pick up the PPE from the city and county because they wouldn't let us disperse it on site there and then take it to a place where we were able to, like, get all of our dentist volunteers to dispense it to the dentists who were driving up in their cars and opening their
1: trunks to put PPE in. I, I heard all kinds of stories about that during the pandemic of how my different clients were getting a hold of this. And it, it was, I mean, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy that's got some PPE. I mean, it kind of came yeah. down to that, yeah. didn't it?
2: Yeah. And then you're wondering, okay, is this is this PPE really going to protect me? What is, is this official PPE or not? Because there was so much like counterfeit um Stuff out there, so I mean, we did everything from that on a local level to at the state level, working with our state dental director, Jay Kumar. And thank goodness we had a state dental director because prior to Dr. Kumar coming to California, he he was the prior um, dental director in the state of New York. California didn't have a state dental director. So I can't even imagine what would have happened if the pandemic hit and we didn't even have someone in a role like that. Um, it was California Dental Association's lobbying that even got us um, that position many years ago. So working closely with him really had us um, have a a voice and um, someone who really understood dentistry um, up in that that position. You know, we wanted to make sure that we were getting dentistry open safely, and part of that was dealing with, you know, everything from, you know, Cal OSHA to um, CDC. And, you know, we were having different, you know, national was saying this, state was saying this, our local components were counties were saying this. It's like, well, how did you know which guidance you needed to follow? So trying to work through all of that and then really push for some consistency with, with that. Um, I mean, one of the things I think about was, The situation with um, the screening, you know, I know that dentists were frustrated having to do the the screening of the patients to ask if they had been exposed or if they were having symptoms or if they were testing positive um, prior to coming into the dental office. But really, even though that was hard to do, because we were screening, it allowed us to say to different regulatory agencies that we are not treating known COVID cases and therefore we do not necessarily have to comply with certain requirements that the hospitals are having to comply with because they're not doing the screening and they may be seeing COVID positive patients. If we weren't doing the screening, we would have been subject to some of the same kinds of infection controls that would have had to, you know, happen in hospitals as far as infectious disease wards. So um, just the process of getting that screening in place, even though it seemed like a burden, it really was the thing that exempted us from even higher levels of regulation. So that was one of the pieces of, you know, getting dentistry open safely. And then there was the, the public piece that we really... The Dental Association had a lot of ability to work with the media to say, "Hey, let's get let's get our dentists on some of the local um, news and radio, and and talk about how dentistry is is like the gold standard when it comes to healthcare and infection control, as far as the the standards that we have, and that was you know important to getting it out publicly that dentistry is a safe place to be. Come on back, and not only is it safe." Dentistry is essential, and the lack of oral health care is going to cause, you know, additional problems down the road if you're not getting the preventive care. If you're not getting in for the dentistry you need, not only um, for your mouth, but the more we're knowing about systemic health um, and oral health.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I want to talk about the CDA, the CDA's response, and and all the dental societies. Uh, nationwide. But I know that CDA was on top of all kinds of things in this pandemic. Talk a little bit about the response. I mean, when this first hit, I mean, everybody must have just gotten together in a room or on a, well, not maybe in a room, but on on a virtual call.
2: <laughs> <This room. laughs>
1: we all learned what Zoom was, didn't we? And, yes. um, um, and, and, and I mean, talk about what their response was. I mean, uh, th- they were all over this, weren't they?
2: Yeah, I mean, and really, it was trying to get as much information as possible. Trying to be an advocate for dentistry, um, not only dentistry as um, as healthcare, but dentistry as generally small business for for the majority of of dentists in the state. And so, when I was um, um, put on the governor's task force, it was it was because of CDA's. Um, building relationships with legislators and the state over time that allowed them to invite a dentist to even be at that table during that time. Um, And really, a lot of that was, again, about dentistry as being a small business. We had different subcommittees, and there was one that was on healthcare, and that had to do, I mean, that was a lot of, like, hospitals and um, larger groups. And I said, well, I actually... Would like to be with the small business group because um, you know dentistry is dealing with uh, particularly the staffing issues, um, and then the, the being a small business trying to get the um, the PPP loans and all. So really worked more in that ra- that area, and um, some of the things that are you know long term and and ongoing with that is that. I think it really helped open the eyes of people to the fact that um, we were having a shortage of staff and dentistry before the pandemic, and it was just really exacerbated by the pandemic. So um, it helped us to pull sources and get grants and really Um, work on getting more apprenticeship programs for dental assistants, more funding for these programs, more training. Um, And we were really trying to encourage people who had been displaced in other jobs to say, Hey, look at dentistry. Dentistry is a place where you're going to be needed. A lot of the skill sets you have in, say, if you're in hospitality or restaurants that can transfer over to what we do in dentistry. So um, I think that that's going to have ongoing effects as we try to um, really work work on the, the workforce um, challenge in dentistry. So just being part of that, I think, even outside of the COVID thing, is going to have, um, have effects for the, the better of, of dentistry.
1: Well, I, I can tell you that our clients were confused and scared. Right. I mean, if you said to somebody, I'm going to shut your livelihood down and I'm not going to tell you when it's time to open up, Uh, that is scary, but I, I will also tell you that, um, the ADA, I've been in touch with people at the ADA. I interviewed the president and the executive director of the ADA on this podcast. Uh, I think it was last year and we had this conversation and it it was the same thing they did and you did. And thank you on behalf of all the dentists that listen to this podcast, all the dentists in California for everything that you did to help to, uh, inform the public, and to help dentists get reopened, and um, most dental offices are back. But you know, you talk about staffing. Ten uh, percent of the hygienists in America have left the profession, and it's 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 uh, you know, and it's it's harder and harder. It's it's challenging, which is why I want to get into our next topic: is the type of practice that you have, and about being a practice owner and loving what you do, because. Um, You know, I don't know much about your dental practice uh, other than what you're going to tell me today, uh, but I would imagine it is absolutely world class. So let's start out the discussion there about your decision to become a dental practice owner. When did you decide and why did you want to be a practice owner?
2: Ah, okay. Um, So my story is, is that I accidentally found dentistry.
1: Um, Uh, Accidentally. So you were going to be a a, a pro golfer, maybe, or I don't know what.
2: um, I thought I was going to be a high school science teacher. Really? And, yeah. Okay. And so I was I was substitute teaching out in Lodi Unified School District and decided that it was it was not for me. And okay. um I was I was complaining to my dry cleaner at one point because she was her dry cleaning business was around the corner from my um, my apartment at the time. And she said and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, career-wise or what I'm gonna do with my life. Why did I go to college and you know, and all that. And she said, Well, I know this dentist and he's looking for a dental assistant, why don't you call him? And so I called him from the dry cleaner and um, he he hired me and he trained me and he didn't just hire me and train me. He, he mentored me and he got me really excited about dentistry. So I already had this vision of going to dental school and graduating and having my own practice. So when I graduated, I looked at practices for sale and decided that I needed to, to do my own thing because a lot of the practices that were um you know, that fit my vision were, were moving too fast for a brand new graduate. Right. Um, And those that were more in my price range were not, not fitting my vision of what I wanted out of a dental practice. So,
1: So when you started looking for a dental practice, how many years out of dental school, you graduated in 2000, how many years out of dental school were you?
2: I was pretty fresh out of dental school. i was wow. I was months out of dental school. So um I found an abandoned liquor store in my own neighborhood and um, demolished it and built a dental practice business plan, hung my shingle with no patients other than my my family members. Um, Oh, so
1: you didn't buy a practice. You started one from scratch,
2: started from scratch.
1: So, 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 so the president of the CDA. So between a a dry cleaner and a liquor store, that's how we got into dentistry. I like that. I love the story. (laughs) I love the story.
2: Um, but you know, I I felt like, okay, well, I went to private dental school, I had student loans. Um, I knew that in order to get ahead, the earlier I owned my own practice, the sooner I'd be able to get ahead and not live paycheck to paycheck as an associate. Um and I think with my background having having worked as a dental assistant and getting to wear some of the other hats in the practice where I I did you know, patient scheduling, I learned insurance billing. Um Sterilizing instruments, chairside assisting, all, all of that it, it made me feel um, confident that I had just a little bit um, of knowledge to be able to to get a practice started. Um, it's still a small practice. It's a—it's a, it's a bed, bread and butter practice. It's general restorative, um, and you know, I think a lot of times, especially lately, people are thinking like, "Oh, I want to have multiple practices and be you know bigger, bigger is better," and my my strategy has really been to keep it um, keep it simple. Keep it smaller, where the overhead is controlled, where it is based on relationships with patients, um, where it's a neighborhood dental office, and I have a team of consistent and, and loyal and amazing people who work with me. And um, it's just, it's, it's, it's the the dream that I had of having my own dental practice, and it's that's it's become that. So,
1: and it's um, a dream that a lot of people who listen to this podcast have. And and I'm sure you walk into the the supermarket or, or the dry cleaner. Um, you go to the same yep. dry cleaner. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> that's
2: in Sacramento, but <laughs> oh, that's in
1: Sacramento. All right. Well, I hope you don't drive to Sacramento I for your dry cleaning. But um, but but I'm sure that you walk around and you see your patients and they say hi and they give you hugs and they smile. Yep. And, yep. and 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 that isn't that one of the things about dentistry is is and I say this and I say it over and over again on this podcast and in my lectures that I give. Uh Dr. Lee you you guys are not about just fixing in people's teeth and putting in crowns you're about a better life a better relationship a better self-esteem total health I mean that that's why you went to dental school right
2: yeah, absolutely. I feel like a small town dentist in a city like San Francisco because I'm out in a neighborhood, and exactly that. I go into the hardware store and know the people who are working in the hardware store because they're patients and the restaurants, and you know, just going anywhere around around the neighborhood, I, I run into run into patients, and it's um, it's those those relationships that are that are important and make me feel like um, dentistry is just rewarding in, in lots of different ways.
1: And doctors, if you want to own 30 practices, 50 practices, 100 practices, power to you. Exactly. But yeah. And that, that that's that's the cool thing about living in this country is you can do pretty much what you want. But if you want to help people, this is the best profession to be. In. I always say it's never been a better time to be a dentist. I want to ask you another question. Do you work with a coach or a mentor or did you have one?
2: So I've always had mentors. I've never like hired a coach or anything. Um,
1: But But maybe a mentor.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, th- th- this is right, Reminded me, I had lunch with a former student about a week ago. Um, she had reached out to me. She graduated about a year ago and she said, hey, Dr. Lee, I'm working in a practice for a dentist who is not on site, who just owns the practice and I'm just working there. And she felt like she didn't have any sense of dental community. And she said, I don't have a mentor and I feel kind of lost. I don't even I, I don't have anyone to, to kind of bounce ideas off of and, you know, and to think about things with. So um, I, of course I'm going to have lunch with you. And so, you know, we got talking about ways that she can really become part of the dental community because that's really what she's wanting. She's wanting mentorship. So we talked about coming out to local dental society events and um, different ways she can volunteer. I encouraged her even to consider teaching a day at the dental school because um, getting involved in organized dentistry and teaching, those were really places where I found my mentors and I had people to um, share ideas with. And it, it made me feel less Alone in it as a as a new graduate, um, and we're all we're all here to help each other. And I think that that's part of why I give back to you know my students in teaching as well because I feel like people did that for me to help me with becoming successful. I just want to you know give give that back.
1: Yeah, you know it's funny. I, I mean I don't know how well you knew Dr. Dugoni at the dental school. I'm assuming you knew him pretty well, right?
2: Very well. <laughs> Very
1: so well. I was in Honolulu. I've, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast. I might have told you this story. I was in Honolulu speaking at the ADA. I was sitting at breakfast with my wife, and I see a name tag, Arthur Dugoni, Pacific uh, University of Pacific School of Dentistry, and I'd never met him. I'd met his daughter, Lisa, but I'd never met him. And I said, Dr. Dugoni, let me introduce myself. 45 minutes later, I hadn't even looked at my wife. She's sitting there eating her breakfast. I'm talking to this man and he shook my hand and it was just fascinating conversation. And I'm surprised I'm still married after that uh, (laughs) little incident. Uh, But she said, my wife, my wife Lynn said, so so who is that? I said, that man is iconic in the world of dentistry. He is one of the most incredible human beings in our profession. And that's all I can tell you, you know, Um, did he have an influence on you too?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I remember, you know, meeting with him once and he could tell that I had a lot of my mind. And he said to me, he looked right in my eyes and he said, Natasha, what, what is eating your soul? And you go, Whoa. <laughs> you know, he, he, he knew that I needed to, to talk and have deeper conversations with him. And, um, I remember going down to have lunch with him a different time. And this was when he was living down in a, um, Right near Stanford, and it was a, a a living situation where he and Kay had their own apartments, um, but it was part of a, uh, you know, retirement area, and they had different restaurants within and activities and all, and we were, we were sitting in the lunchroom and he said, don't, don't look over there, but that guy behind you, he's like the former president of Lockheed and don't look over there, but that, <laughs> that guy over there, um, he's a Nobel, you know, prize winner. And I said, well, they're probably whispering over there. Don't, don't look over there, but that's the most you know, impressive man in dentistry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So. What a nice man. What an articulate man. I mean, just, and that's the thing. There's so many wonderful mentors out there and doctors, if you're struggling, you know, I mean, Doc, Dr. Lee. Um, you know, she she had her mentors. You, you should have a mentor and find somebody that you can just talk to about what your struggles are. Um, uh, you know, we, we've you and I have talked before. We had a discussion. Some things that um, you know, talk about some things, simple things that can determine success as a practice owner. You've told me that there's some just some simple things that you do that make your practice successful. Share with our audience some of the things that you do to make your practice successful. Some simple things, maybe.
2: Oh gosh, simple things. I mean, I think that your practice culture is incredibly important and something that dentists really overlook as far as your role as a leader and your um, um, setting expectations for your your team and your practice. And you're also, you know, making sure that you're not only hiring the right people, um, but making sure that you are doing your role in, in, in leading that team, creating that team, um, deciding what is, um, what's important to that group and um, being someone who's always encouraging people to be lifelong learners. Um, and then, you know, get getting in there and being present with your team. Um, I think a lot of times dentists get very focused on the dental part. And then at the end of the day, just want to, you know, go home and not really, you know, we always hear people talk about working. You need to work um, on your practice, not just in your practice. And I think a lot of that working on your practice has to do with your your team um, because of the frustrations that, you know, everyone has these days with the the shortage of staff. Um, it, it really, really, I think, can can make or break your your practice. And, you know, you have to you have to treat people like the the. Um, the goal that they are, you know, is your practice run. I can't, I can't do this without, without my team. Um, so I think that's one thing. And then I think just, just getting, um, getting yourself educated as far as some of the, the business aspects of it. And I think a lot of dentists really don't like the business aspects of it, but, Um, and therefore just ignore it or kind of puts their, put their heads in the sands. But there's, there's so many basic things that, that you can learn about running a practice. Um, you know, everything from just tracking your key, um, performance indicators on a monthly basis so that you're measuring and monitoring different aspects of the practice to know where you need to make some, some corrections and tweaks, where you need to focus things. Um, and that's, that's not, um, you know, a really difficult thing to track just a, um, a basic set of key performance indicators and to manage accordingly. Um, and I think the other part is really, I think dentists tend to get stuck in their own beliefs about their practices and um, often get frustrated with things and feel like, oh, well, these things are happening to me and they feel like they don't have the control to make those changes. Um, and, Particularly with the way they run their practice, um, dental benefits challenges as well, um, or getting you know caught up in the idea that they just have to produce more dentistry faster, and that's that's the key to success. Because the the key to success um, really has to do with relationship building um, with with your patients.
1: You are you are so spot on, which leads me into the next conversation is. You know, this pandemic was the most horrible time, three, two or three years that, that we've experienced in our lifetimes. And you talked to lots of dentists. I talked to lots of dentists. And uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of dentists out there who don't love what they do and who go into the office every day and it's a grind and they're not happy. What do you, I mean, I, I can just tell you're a very just happy person, pleasure to be around. You must love what you do. I've got to imagine you love what you do. Yeah. And, and talk, to the, talk to my listeners who maybe don't love what they do. What do you say to them?
2: Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm very lucky to be one of these people who found a career doing something that I enjoy um, because I know that doesn't happen for everybody. And there are definitely going to be dentists who are going to, it's not going to be their passion, but it's going to be their career. And they're still going to go and um, take care of their patients and their, their team. And um, they can still focus on their business and at the end of the day, you know, have the work life balance they crave. Um, and then those are, there's others who, you know, eat, drink and, and, and breathe, breathe dentistry. Right. Um, but I think that, um, I think that a lot of times dentists get stuck. They feel, um, that they can't change anything about their practice. And, um, I, I challenge them to think beyond that, that if you're not liking something about your, practice or your career, there are things you can do so that you don't have to practice that way or be feel stuck in that. Um, if you're feeling that um, you are burdened by having to um, work super fast and not build those relationships with patients because of reimbursement issues, um, you can change your relationship. Um, so that reimbursement is adequate, you change your relationship with like dental benefits plans, so that your reimbursement is adequate enough for you to slow down, take the time to do dentistry the way you want to do dentistry, and um, spend the time with your with your staff and your your patients the way that you intended uh, dentistry to be, probably when you were thinking about it as a career choice.
1: So, with that said. From what I understand, at one point in your practice, you were contracted with insurance plans, right? And then you're now a full 100% fee-for-service practice. Am I am I correct on that? Did I get that right? I was,
2: yeah, I was contracted with one plan um, when I started. And about 10, I guess it's been about 10 years ago now, I decided to drop that insurance um, contract contract. Um, that was at a time where that was at a time where I was needing some help in my practice. I was thinking about bringing an associate in because I was doing more with the dental association as far as going up the chairs towards presidency. And I, at that time, had I brought an associate in, um, under the contract that I was with, it would have set up two different fee schedules in the practice. Um, and I decided that instead of doing that and taking lower reimbursement, that I would do the opposite. I would not hire someone. I would cancel the contract, which I assumed would downsize or right-size my practice for the amount of time I had to spend you know, in the practice. Um, and it, it didn't actually take care of that that problem. I actually, after dropping the contract, stayed busy enough that I then needed to bring in an associate, um, which was great because I was able to bring in an associate without any contractual issues. We didn't have to have multiple fee schedules. Um, and the reimbursement was there that my um, associate didn't have to be concerned about how that would be impacting her uh, her compensation.
1: Well, I am, I am an advocate, as I would think that you are too, for the fee-for-service practice of dentistry. And the fact of the matter is, doctors, is that if you are looking at changing your relationship with insurance, you must have a practice. And Dr. Lee, I'd love to hear your comments on this. You must have a practice that is based on caring and trust. In other words, if your patients trust you they will understand the decision that you make to change the relationship and and potentially go out of network with an insurance plan or 2 or 10 or 20. So I'm assuming doctor that you like you said you thought you would lose a bunch of patients because you went off of that plan but lo and behold I'm assuming that these patients probably love coming to your office and seeing you and your team and they probably stayed for the mo- I mean you lost some I'm sure nobody nobody goes off of an insurance plan and doesn't lose some, but I'm guessing you didn't lose a lot.
2: Well, the first thing I would say is that every dentist has to make an individual choice for themselves about whether to participate with contracts. um, We, in the eyes of the Federal Trade Commission, we're all considered um, competitors, so um, I do not advocate whatsoever anyone saying, oh yes, we we all need to to get together and and make these decisions as a group. It really depends on your practice and what you're wanting out of your 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 practice, and so that's that was the decision I made after crunching numbers. And so, to me, the important part is the crunching numbers. And dentists, we don't like that generally. Um, We like the patient care, which is most of the time why we went into dentistry. But um, making those decisions to drop a contract is often an emotional one, where you, as a dentist, you're people pleaser. You you don't want to upset any of your patients, and so. It becomes a very emotional thing where you're like, I couldn't possibly do that because people will hate me or they will they will leave me and they'll be mad at me and and all of that. And so, you know, I had to look at it um, analytically and get out the calculator and say, OK, well, well, at that point, point, 55 percent of my practice was with this um, patients who had this particular plan. And so I thought, well, that's an awful big chunk. That's really kind of scary. Um, but that is the time that I did hire a consultant to walk me through that. So I hired a consultant for a year who um, really kind of specialized in, in that. And um, we looked at numbers. And if I lost, you know, 10% of that patient base, but 90% stuck around um, at full regular, my UCR, I would actually be okay if, and then we said, okay, well, next case scenario, what if I lost 15%? What would that look like number-wise? And I'd be like, that would be okay too. And then you get to the point where you go, okay, well, what percentage of the patients would I lose to, to still be hitting a break, even if the, if the large majority still stayed? And then you even crunch the numbers further to say, okay, even if I lost some patients and some, you know, profitability here, Um, At what point do I get to the pain point where I don't think I can recover from this? And then when you look at those numbers and work with a consultant who can get you through it in such a way that you're having heart-to-heart with your patients along the way and saying, this is is why this change is going to be occurring at this later point. Um, If patients are, like you said... Loyal to you, they came to you not because you were on the list in the first place, but they came to you because of word of mouth, because they have friends and family who go there, because they um, have built a level of trust with you. Um, they they'll stick it out. And yeah, we did have some patients leave. Um, a number of those trickle back in too. Yes, yes. Uh, but you know, I I anticipated losing about fifteen percent of that patient um, group, and at the one year mark, I had lost eleven percent. Um, so that is it,
1: amazing. That is really, know, really good.
2: Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, think it can be done, but again, your practice has to be positioned in such a way. So if anyone is thinking about doing that down the road and their practice isn't positioned like where you have people coming to you because of, um, word of mouth referrals versus, um, you know, being on the list or doing a lot of marketing, um, you, a dentist can work on getting their practice to that point and building those relationships. So when they do need to make that change, you have a higher likelihood of your patients um, sticking with you.
1: Well, you're, you're, you're just so spot on. I mean, you, you and I, I think our brains are connected today, really. It's just, I mean, we, we both think exactly the, the same way you talked about numbers. Now you work with a dental specific CPA, um. Yeah. And um, I've known uh, your CPA, Hayden Warhan at Thomas Dahl for 35, probably 38 years. I think I met Hayden at CDA like in 1985, 86. And yeah. um, talk about why it's important to work w- w- with a dental specific CPA. Uh, yeah. w- what has that benefit been for you?
2: Uh, Hayden, first of all, Hayden's been awesome. He's actually been my CPA for um, almost two decades now. I got to actually check the date. We might be having a twenty-year anniversary to celebrate. <laughs> yep. um, he, I, I, so I, I course direct practice management um, and jurisprudence at UOP. And one of the messages I'm always sending to my students is that you have to you have to create the team that helps you with your practice, and that team is going to include a CPA. And someone who is dental or dental medical specific, they really get the practice management side of things. And so um, they're able to look at your your reports, they're able to look at your categories of your expenses and where you're spending your money overhead-wise and let you know if something is is out of whack and, and not meeting a, a benchmark. So all those like key performance indicators, they're able to help you sit down with you and help you assess those things and point out discrepancies and say, hey, wait a minute, why why all of a sudden is this number off? And sit with you and talk about it from a practice management perspective. Um, so, I, I, I feel like they are good practice management consultants and CPAs kind of rolled into one and can really help you with business decisions and um, even strategic planning for your practice.
1: Yeah. And most of us in the Academy, I helped form the Academy of Dental CPA uh, Dental CPAs uh, 20, 22 years ago, we were over uh, there were nine of us in a room with two water pitchers in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, right uh, after the. Uh nine eleven terrorist attacks. It was like a month or two after that, I think. And uh, our group has morphed into, we represent over 10,000 dentists, and I work with dentists in Southern California, and we all do the same thing. So doctors, and I don't talk about this, those of you that are regular listeners to my podcast, I don't talk, uh, uh, me or my services or anything else. But if you're not working with a CPA who understands the dental profession uh, you will more than benefit uh, from doing that. That's that's all I want to say. And it's important that you watch your numbers. Did what what you look at your key performance indicators and you you work with your team on that too and let them know kind of where some of the numbers are too, don't you?
2: Yep. yep, absolutely, absolutely. And you know the other thing I would say about working with a dental CPA is not just important while you are in the you know the middle of your career and having a practice. I think it's important if you are going through a transition. Because if you are looking at um, acquiring a practice, um, having someone who is on your team who understands the the valuation of the practice, the um, the, um, the lending, you know, issues with it, even the insurance contracting, dental insurance, I say in air quotes there, the dental benefit plan contracting, yes, um, and how a lot of those changes and things that are in the environment right now with those contracts affect the. Um, acquisition of a practice from both the buyer and seller side of things, um, just a, a whole other reason to to have um, someone who is very savvy with with dental.
1: Well, again, we, you know, I I get dentists a lot of times will say, so Art, I'm just really, I don't really, I'm kind of, I don't really understand the numbers. And my answer to them is, well, you know what, Um, you know occlusion and margins better than I do. So, I mean, we all do what we do, right? These are just
2: different kinds of margins that you need to learn. Exactly.
1: I have profit (laughs) margins. Yours are uh, in millimeters. So there you go. I want to hit on a couple of other things with you. I want to talk about the importance of continuing education. Then I want to talk about organized dentistry. So I know that you are a big believer, and I think that CE is one of the most important things for dentists to stay on top. Talk about your feelings about CE, kind of how you do it and why you think it's so important for dentists.
2: You know, when I was a a new grad, I spent a lot of my CE time learning practice management, I would go to CDA Presents, I would take as many practice management courses as possible. Because I felt like right after school, I was at least a safe beginner, I had gone through dental school, I had my dental license, I I knew the, the basics, but knew less about the running of a practice and knew that that's what I needed to where I needed to educate myself. So I fully believe that as dentists, we well, and as human beings, we need to be lifelong learners. And there are so many opportunities out there. And like I said, through through the mentorship, through going to the um, the dental conferences, um, that was really the way for me to learn that and understand that and and network because that that too is is important. I think. Um, then, as far as the clinical continuing education, you were talking earlier about mentors. I you know also have found my mentors in the, for the clinical aspect of dentistry. And they've always been there. You know, all I have to do is pick up the phone and say, hey, I got this situation, you know, help me with this. Or what do you think of this? Or, you know, I'm, I'm having um, uh, or I went to the CE course and we're, we're you know, learning this technique. Have you have you tried that technique in your practice? So the mentorship, not just with the. Um, the career guidance, but also with the, with the clinical thing, is important. Um, and you know what? There's so many books out there that are just great reads um, to to educate yourself, particularly about the practice management um, piece of things. And of course, even you know now beyond beyond books, there's audiobooks, there's podcasts like like this one. Um, so many resources out there for dentists to gain knowledge to be able to be successful in their practices.
1: I've always been one who's advocated that, number one, you've got to have the state you know, state-of-the-art technology because you're competing against other dentists who have state-of-the-art technology. Um, you need to have world-class relationships with your team and your patients, and you've got to be all over CE. My doctors who have high CE expenses, I say, I'm thrilled that Your overhead is high. And they go, What do you mean? I go, because that means you're investing in yourself. And also don't you invest in your team on CE Absolutely. also? Talk a little bit about that. That's important too.
2: Well, I mean, I think that not only is it important for you to, you know, spend on on that from the perspective of um, you know educating your team but my gosh the the team building that goes into it when we um you know as a team get up and go down to to Anaheim to CDA presents and do a little Disney as, as well that that's really part of the the, the team aspect but them taking classes together and really being able to be on the same page. So I have my clinical team do practice management courses along with the, the front office team and front office getting, you know, awareness of what we're talking about clinically with, with our patients. So, um, the the team investment i think is is really important and of course it's it's nice that you know being here in san francisco we have dental schools in town we have a lot of study clubs we have a lot a lot of access to um to great continuing education programs and you know occasionally we we travel too for some hands-on workshops and and whatnot but um and we we read books together i i actually give my team um books and if they have any downtime, they should be reading some chapters out of these books. And then when we have our office meetings, we'll almost book club where we sit and, and talk about what we've learned.
1: It's about creating a culture of learning and caring and healing and success in your business, doctors. And that is what you're hearing today from from Dr. Lee. And, th- and that's why I have wonderful people like her on, on my podcast. I want to get into organized dentistry, because I know you're very passionate about that. Obviously, you've been um, you're on Governor Newsom's task force. You were the president of CDA. You're on ADA. You're involved with ADA. I mean, you're very involved in organized dentistry, and and I believe, Dr. Lee, that uh, you know, I, I'm I want to see more young people and more even doctors in there. You know, getting closer to retirement, get involved. Talk about the importance of organized dentistry, especially today with all the challenges we have.
2: Yeah, I I think that you know. Dentistry, I think, for the longest time was uh, it was it was kind of the same. Not a lot of changes were happening, and then all of a sudden, in the last you know so many years, lots of changes are happening. Everything from practice models to dental benefits issues to um, technology and innovation is happening in dentistry. And I think that organized dentistry has always served the purpose of one having dentists. Put their brains together and um, work towards um, protections for for patients for um, oral health of you know. With CDA, we're working toward the oral health of, of Californians, um, but also working on behalf of dental professionals and, and dentists so that um, we can make sure that our practices can continue to thrive and that our profession is one that is um, respected. Um, So many things that we're doing, particularly around the the dental benefits thing right now. We've had um, some new bills recently regarding transparency. Um, One right now is would require the dental benefit plans to disclose both to patients and dental offices, whether they are um, regulated on a state or federal level, because here in California, we can pass all of these, you know, great, um, you know, laws that will help um, with dental benefits issues. But yet you sometimes will get a patient whose plan doesn't play by those rules and you can't figure out why. And it's because it's regulated on a federal level. It's an ERISA plan rather than a state plan. Um, with things like um, coordination of benefits when someone has two different plans or putting caps and limitations on certain fees for services when it's a non-covered um, benefit for a plan in the first place. And so, you know, those laws, if you pass them in state, they, they pertain particularly to, to California law. Um, but this, this bill will make it more transparent as to which which uh who who they're regulated by and what rules they have to play by another one is um seeking to um, make sure that plans that are employer group plans um will not be able to not cover pre-existing conditions you know you've got someone who's had a congenitally missing tooth and all of a sudden um, the plan says, sorry, we're not going to pay for replacement of that tooth with a bridge or an or an implant or someone who's got a cleft palate issue and said, sorry, that's a pre-existing condition. We're not going to cover it. Um, so chunking away at at some of the the little things, but then also looking at the the bigger things um, and really trying to do more education. And we're really, I think, making some some headway in this area, um, helping legislators understand that dental insurance, again, in air quotes, isn't really insurance. And that it's it's really a broken system. So um, the fact that we I mean, recently we had our we had a, a Senate Health Committee hearing and um, it was regarding one of these bills. And we had um, Senator Scott Weiner stand up to the insurance executives and say, no, I think I think dental insurance is the Wild West. And he said um, i he said that he believes that even um, even good dental insurance or even good dental insurance is bad is the thing he said. So, you know, that that we're actually we've been building these relationships explaining this to them and to hear them now testify and say these things is like, okay, we're we're getting to the point where we're gonna be able to make more more headway in this. And,
1: and I heard I heard that testimony and it and you're absolutely right. I mean, the the maximums on insurance today are virtually the same as they were 60 years ago. It's crazy. Yep. And and but but if doctors, if if you don't get involved and fight for your profession, nobody else is going to do it for you. Uh, I mean, Dr. Lee is going to do it for you and CDA. (laughs) But, you know, I have learned so much about CDA in the past five years. Um, I work with uh, Matt Nelson and Katie Frenelli over there who are just awesome, awesome, awesome people. And, and all the things that they do and all the services that not only California, but all of your state dental societies and your local component dental societies have. So doctors, reach out to them, find out how you can get involved. And, and uh, you know, again, and and Dr. Lee, what has been the benefit to you personally and professionally of being involved in organized dentistry?
2: Oh, my gosh. I mean, for one, we talked about mentors and just finding people that can can help you and understand Um it helps me to, um, really, I mean, I've, I've grown from the people that I've surrounded myself with. They always say you surround yourself with people smarter than, than yourself. Right. Uh Um, you know, that, that really, um, I think as much as I give, I get back more than what I give. Um, the it's, it, it, I think it keeps me balanced too. I, I hear of a lot of dentists feeling um, isolated or, or burnt out. To me, being able to, to balance my career with getting involved in organized dentistry and feeling that I'm, I'm relevant in that space, um, the teaching part, the practice, doing all of these things has really kept um, my career dynamic and, and interesting. Um, I think you were talking about examples of, of how organized dentistry is you know, benefits dentistry. I'm, I'm currently chairing the TDIC board of directors. So the dentist insurance company and the the dentist insurance company was actually started many, many years ago when we were having kind of an insurance crisis in, in healthcare. And I'm talking about, um, professional liability, malpractice insurance. The rates were going up so much. Um, a lot of, it was due to frivolous lawsuits in the state, um, that, It was, you know, healthcare providers were leaving the state. It was just getting so costly. Um, So, dentist members of the California Dental Association got together and actually created their own insurance company. And that's what TDIC is. So, when you hear their marketing that says for dentists, by dentists, it really was started by CDA dentists to try to create a company that was um, going to be putting the best interests of the dentists out there and um, creating affordable policies and and protections that really are made specifically for dentists. Um, so that's an example of how we can all get together and and do good things um, for the profession.
1: So let's put a bow on this. This is this is I can't tell you how much fun. I mean, other than on a golf course and a fly fishing stream, this is as much fun as I have. But of course, I surround myself Dr. Lee with people who have a lower handicap on the golf course that I do and can help me to shape my shots better. But that that's me. I mean, you do you, I'll do me, okay, right? So so let me end this with the with this question. I mean, I always say in my lectures, I mentioned this earlier that I don't think it's ever been a better time to be a dentist. Um where do you see this profession going in the next five to 10 years? What are you excited about? What, what what do you, I mean, you're, you're going to be a dentist for a while. um, And um, you know, uh, what are you excited about? What do you think is going to happen the next five to 10 years? It's just going to make it even better.
2: Oh my gosh. Um, I think it's a great time to be a dentist. Uh, You know, particularly for my, my students right now, I tell them that, you know, as far as the opportunities there, the, the things, the different things you can do with your career as a dentist right now are are just growing. I mean, as far as the different types of practices, the different models um, of of dental practice, um, the innovation that's going on. I mean, when I was in dental school, we we you know didn't know about scanning things, and I I scan and mill things now in my practice. We've got. Right things going on with 3D printing. It's, it'll be very curious to see where AI takes us. Um, yeah. Dentistry. Um, I think that um, I have people say, well, do you think the traditional model of dentistry is going away and it's all going to be large groups? And I don't think that's the case. I think that are no. definitely we're seeing trends towards more consolidation. But I also think that there's going to be uh, always a segment of the population who's looking for that kind of relationship with their healthcare providers. And I think that um, we're going to continue to have um, traditional practices thrive in it with all other practice models out there. Um, And so I feel like there's still lots of opportunity there to be an entrepreneur in dentistry. Yes, yes. Uh, I think that we have had a good number of um, dentists who liked practicing longer and have, but have, you know, now getting through the pandemic and um, through the economic challenges of the last decade have decided it's time to, to step back. And so I think that um, i telling my, my new graduates and students that they're going to have lots of opportunities as far as um, practices available to them to go into, to, uh, to acquire, to um, find mentors um, in those practices. And so I, th- I think it's a good time.
1: I think I agree. And and the fact is, is, is again, doctors, you, you know, and I, I, again, I'll repeat myself like I do incessantly. When I help a doctor transition his or her practice, I always say to them, when we do the closing of the practice, I say, doctor, I want to congratulate you on, say, 42 years of practice. Dr. Lee, I want to congratulate you on 42 years of practice. And I want you to think about the thousands of people that you have changed their lives for the better, and that's your legacy. I mean, your legacy, Doctor Lee, is not only what you're doing for your patients, but what you're doing for your profession. And God bless you for everything that you've done to help the dentists in California and in the country. Uh, but, 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 you know, doctors, that is what you do. Dentists are some of the most some of the wonderful, kind human beings I've ever met, I've had opportunities to refer uh, some of my friends to some dentists in their areas, and, and I just hear what they say about them. So it, it's just a wonderful profession. So if there's something going on out there with you that you're not happy, or you, you, know, you, you throw up before you go to work every day, or you don't want to see this team member, like Dr. Lee said, you can always, always change what you're doing. And we talk about the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So Dr. Natasha Lee, you are golden. Thank you so much for taking the time. I just have so much fun talking to wonderful people like you. And please keep doing what you're doing to help your colleagues and help your profession and to help your patients. And hang hang with me, if you would, while I take my podcast out for today, if you would. Okay,
2: keep doing what you're doing as well to help the profession and all of us out there. So thank you.
1: Well, you're very kind, and it's really enjoyable to, to do that. So, uh, doctors, again, I want to thank you for the honor and the privilege of your time, and I, I really do hope that the information that we're providing on this podcast is is helpful to you in your practice, and it's a you know these podcasts, whether it's my podcast or somebody else's podcast, or a call to action. And if I can get one of you today to listen to what the the conversation that Doctor Natasha Lee and I had uh, about making your practice better and getting involved in your profession and and, and just making making your life better than, than I've done my job. Uh, I want to thank, again, Decisions in Dentistry magazine, 140 continuing education courses um, uh, for one very reasonable price. Go to their website, www.decisionsindentistry.com. I forgot to mention, I should have mentioned this earlier, I just had an article published a couple months ago uh, by the time this airs. Um, in the Journal of the California Dental Association, on uh, their online journal on retirement planning. So please go on there and, and read that. It's a real comprehensive, uh, we actually have a case study about Dr. and Mrs. Wiederman and how they're going to retire, which is a whole another conversation we, we will continue to have. And again, if you're not happy with your CPA relationship, uh, my number is 657-279-3243. Uh, A. Wiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N, at idbailey.com in different parts of the country. We have the Academy of Dental CPAs, www.adcpa.org. Dr. Natasha Lee, thank you so much for your time today.
2: Great. Thanks, Thanks, Art.
1: All right. And uh, to everyone, thank you again for the honor and privilege of your time of listening to my podcast. And with that, we will call it a podcast. That's it for this edition of The Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman, CPA. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. The Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast is produced by Ide Bailey in partnership with Art Wiederman, CPA, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, and the Academy of Dental CPAs. For audience questions and feedback, email Art Wiederman, awiederman at idbailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Or you may call Art at 657-279-3243.